Turning again to that portion of the word that we read together, First Peter chapter 2, we may read again from verse 19, 1 Peter 2, verse 19, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endured grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own, own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, when you were as sheep going astray, that are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And particularly in verse 23 we read, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, this letter was been sent uh, to encourage Christians who were going through hard and difficult times, even times of persecution. Difficult times in the day that they lived in. They had difficulties because of obvious disagreements with the world around them. And indeed also, at times, disagreements with other believers. And that can be life even more trying and difficult. But then, friends, such is to be expected when Imperfect, sinful people live in an imperfect, sinful world with other sinful people. We are all, at times, sadly influenced by the world around us. But maybe more than that, we are all, sadly, often influenced by our own selfishness and our pride as well. It is a struggle often with us all regarding these matters. You know how it is that none of us like to be told or shown that we are wrong in things. How often we find it difficult to accept when our sins are pointed out to us, when our sinful actions are pointed out. It takes grace, friends, to acknowledge when we are wrong. It takes grace to acknowledge when someone corrects us and we accept it and that we are thankful for it. As we deal with one another, there is a great need for care. And particularly because the world is always looking on to see what is going on. There's something of that, I think, here in 
the twelfth verse, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. The need as Christians to be aware of how we deal with one another. Now, we all, friends, make many mistakes because none of us is without sin. None of us are perfect. But when we remember, as we should, as believers, that God has forgiven us for our sins, that should help us and guide us in how we deal with others and our attitude towards others that we may feel that have wronged us. Our calling is to have the same attitude as our Lord Jesus Christ, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. You remember also his teaching in, for example, in Matthew 7, what he teaches there about the speck, the moat in our brother's eye, that we need first to take the beam, the plank out of our own eye. It may be, and often is, that we can be guilty of the very same thing as someone we find fault with, and yet we cannot see it in our own lives as we can see it in others. We may even imagine, well, I would never sin the way that person has. I would never fall into that same sin that they have. What happens then that we end up being sinfully judgmental and at the end of it all, it's about ourselves and our own pride and our own arrogance at times as well. It has been said by someone the wrong, our wrong reaction to sin in another person can be worse than the sin itself. Our wrong reaction to sin in someone else can be worse than that sin itself. Now, part of the fruit of the Spirit, as we know, is self-control. <coughs> it's not helpful to deal with each other, or even with the world in the wrong spirit. It's not able to try and work out our, through our disagreements when we are angry. Or we may end up saying things or doing things that we regret. And who here doesn't know something of that? Oh, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't said that. You know what James says about the tongue? The tongue is a fire. And you know, friends, how a few sometimes rash, careless words can cause damage that takes a long time, if ever, that can be uh, bring healing. Again, remember what Scripture says about that kind of thing. In Proverbs we read, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer a gentle answer, a, a, a Christ-like answer, rather than, as often some of us do, that we let our emotions go and we end up being a bad witness and poor representations of 
a Christian. And so, friends, here this morning to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as our example. Now, of course, he's far more than that. Some people see Christ as this life, what a good example to live. And that's certainly true. He's far more than that. But he is also, he is also an example. Even here, uh, Scripture itself tells us, it speaks about him in verse 21, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So for us here today then, to look at how do we deal with difficulties? How do we deal with opposition? And even when it is outrightly unjust even against us, how do we deal with it? Do we deal with it in the way that Christ deals with these situations? And again, what I bring before you today, I pray that it has come from the Lord to myself first. My need your need. We're all the same if we are two today followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then, first of all, to look at it, to look first at the spirit in which he dealt with his suffering. And then we can see how our suffering compares to his. And then thirdly, how he dealt with it ultimately. First of all, then, the spirit in which he was when he dealt with the suffering. Well, here was one who knew himself that he was accused. What he was accused of was not true. He could say himself elsewhere, the prince of this world has nothing in me. The world, the devil, cannot find any fault in me. Because we know, and he knew, that he was without sin. He knew even here as he has been brought to be crucified and right through his life, that all that he was charged with, that he was innocent of all these charges. Here was one who could have called, we read elsewhere, 12 legions of angels to come and to destroy all those who were speaking against him. But how did he react? When he was reviled, he reviled not again the one who laid down his life for us, laid down his life for vile sinners such as we are. And he did so willingly, a willing sacrifice at all times. Oh, he was despised and he was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was accused at times of blasphemy, allowed himself to be dragged, as it were, to the cross, even to carry his cross. And yet, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Do you see, friends, the spirit in which he was dealing with his situation and his suffering? How all of us, all of us, need to learn from his holy example. What an example, friends, of self-denial. And that surely is something that all of us need to learn more of. Self-denial how easy it is for us to do what pleases ourselves rather than to deny ourselves. Here was the Lord and there was no railing against those who had no time for him, those who were putting him to death, those who were mocking and scourging him, those who thought themselves as being far greater than he was, those who unjustly uh, persecuted him, 
He was the one who made himself of no reputation. Why did he do that? Why was he in that spirit? To save you and I. What you and I were due to suffer, that he suffered in our womb instead. This was the way of anyone being saved, that he would do this and that he would do so willingly. It wasn't that he didn't have the power, but as our sacrifice, our mediator, our intercessor, our savior, this was the way that he had to do what he did. Friends, why then should we complain? about sometimes having to suffer a little for the sake of Christ. Why? Why are we like this, so often with us? What do we read here in verse 21? He suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. What steps are you to follow? The steps of Christ. What were these steps? They were steps of obedience. There were steps of humility. There were steps of meekness. There were steps of turning the other cheek. All of those around him, enmity against him. And you might know something of that yourself in your life. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? But you know who your biggest enemy is? Not the world. Not anyone other believers even, but yourself. Self is the biggest enemy of any of us. To see ourselves as we are, wretched men. Oh, it's hard it is for us to see ourselves like that. How easy it is for us to elevate ourselves. Seeing ourselves as being something. Seeing ourselves as being something special. Comparing ourselves to others and better than others and finding faults with others. And you see, when we have that kind of selfish attitude of self, which sadly, friends, is very much in the day that we live in. You look around us and you listen to all the media and everyone else is about to elevate yourself, to make yourself something. And I fear, friends, that that kind of spirit also has crept in amongst us as Christians as well. Too much of self, too much of being something and someone, seeing ourselves as being in that way. And you see, that leads what to pride, selfishness. Or maybe I should say pride leads to selfishness. They go together. And you know what the Bible says about pride. It is a sin, and a sin that maybe we don't see in the way that we should. How often it is that we see pride, well, I know I'm a bit proud, but, 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 pride is a sin. And it leads us into areas that we'd better be out of. But then some people say, but, but you don't know, I have a lot to put up with. You haven't a clue what goes on at my work, at my home, in the church circle. I have so many things to put up with. Nobody knows what I have to put up with. Well, you may well have, and you may well have many difficulties, and you may well have trials and tribulations, but what did your Savior do? What did the Lord Jesus do? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. What does he say elsewhere? If any man come after me, let him what? Deny himself. 
And that's where we see particularly the spirit of the Lord. And is there not a great lack amongst ourselves of self-denial? Got to get what I want. This is what I desire. This is what must be because I want it. And this is the way I think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Listening to ourselves rather than listening to the Lord and guided by the Spirit of God. Someone else has written about how our sad tendency when faced with what we think are unjust accusations, we retaliate and we, we sulk and we try to get our own way back, back on people, to get one over them. Where do we see that in the Lord? I think some of us can look back in the last 20 odd years. And sadly, maybe amongst ourselves, while our cause may have been just, how often it is that we were on the wrong spirit, seeking to get one over, hearted brethren. Friends, it's sin to be of that spirit. We don't see it in Christ in any way whatsoever. It is sin. And the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for those who despitefully use us and who persecute us. That's what we are to do. That's what he tells us himself. Do we pray for those who are, as it were, our opponents, our, our, our persecutors even, our, our, when we fall out with brethren? Do we pray for them truly? Oh, well, I do. What kind of prayer? Is it a genuine prayer or do you pray just to say it? Just words with you. Friends, let us all, let us all seek after the spirit of our Savior. When faced with his difficulties and his false accusations, he, when he was reviled, reviled not again. That's how he dealt with the situation. That's how we should deal with our situations. And so secondly, then, if we, in more detail, compare your suffering to his. You know, scripture, you remember, says elsewhere that someone said about him, never man spake like this man. Well, friends, that's written for us, but it also teaches never man suffered like this man. Never man suffered like this man. Now, every believer suffers for being a believer in one way or another. There's a cost involved. We live in a hostile world. We live in situations that are difficult for us. This world is not our eternal home. We are, we are strange. You can see that again in, 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 in verse 11. I beseech you as strange and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshless. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. That is what we are. Every one of the Lord's people. You are not of this world, the Lord Jesus said elsewhere. And just as they hated Jesus without a cause, so often it can be with the believer. If they hate me, they will hate you, he says. Now, that will always mean a measure of suffering and difficulty. That shouldn't surprise us. Indeed, friends, if our life is easy and we never have opposition and never any difficulties, we should ask ourselves, why am I hiding my life? Am I showing forth whose I am and whom I seek to serve? 
It shouldn't surprise us, the world around. But even within our church circles, we can have difficulties and we can have trials and we can have differences as well. We see that even in Scripture. You remember the situation, for example, with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark? There was a falling out there between Christians. Yes, these things happen. They shouldn't, but they do. We know, of course, that later on that Mark was restored uh, with the apostle. But what I'm saying is that these trials and these difficulties of suffering even can be painful. Come. And these things, I'm quite sure, when there was that fallout between Paul and Barnabas about Mark, it was a painful thing for them. But how do we deal with it? What is it compared to what he suffered? So friends, any trials and, and, and difficulties, whatever they come from, we need to keep them in perspective. And the more, friends, you remember and meditate upon your Lord's suffering, the less then you will see your own as being of any consequence whatsoever. Or oh, how can we compare what he suffered in our woman's stead with all our trials and difficulties. You know, you hear some foolishly saying, and excuse me, using language, I'm going through hell, some people say. And I'm going through the pains of hell. No, you're not. There's no Christian who does. Difficulties, yes. But that kind of talking, you never will. That is blasphemy to talk like that. Because that's comparing something of what the Lord went through to see or even think that whatever we're going through is wrong. Difficulties we may have and will have, but the Christian duty is to bear his cross after the Lord. Do it patiently. Do it willingly as your master did. That's what's required of us when we have sufferings. And where, friends, is the best place to compare and think about and consider these trials, difficulties, and persecutions, whether they're perceived or genuine, where is the best place to be when you're going through these situations? My friend, on your knees before the Lord at the cross. That's what will put everything into its right perspective. When you start to reflect on matters, out with, as it were, the shadow of Calvary, your difficulties will always overcome you, and you will be left in despair and bitterness as well. That's where you have to take things. Go to the cross. See there what he's done. Try and, if you dare even, how can you even dare to compare what he suffered and the way that he dealt with it and what you are going through, however difficult. I'm not saying you don't have difficulties. I'm not saying that we don't have trials and tribulations. How do we deal with them? Think about him. Think about and go back again and again and again, friends, to where he suffered willingly and yet never reviled. Follow his example in dealing with one another. And sadly, friends, much opposition of the Lord Jesus came from where? Oh, the world, certainly. But the greatest opposition was from within the, the church of the day. That's where the opposition came from. 
Now, we may have that ourselves in different ways. And coming from such can be a painful, painful matter. But dear friend, it is not something that's unknown to your Savior. But even so, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. How we deal with it? Finding fault with others. Finding fault. Well, he could have found fault. But silence was often how things were with him. Recently, in our place a couple of weeks ago, listened to a preacher and he preached on that text, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. That woman taken in adultery, you remember the situation. And you know what happened? None of them could. But the preacher said this, and it was very striking. Simple thing, but never thought of it. I said there was one there who could have, because he was without sin, and only one. But he didn't. And that for us as well, friends, how we are to be. Friends, we have to look to Christ. We have to look to ourselves. We have to examine our own motives. We have to think about things that are in our experience, the difficulties and trials. But we have to look to Christ and not to man or men, any man. You think even of the great spiritual giants in Scripture. You've got your Abrahams and your Davids and your Solomons and your Peter and so on. They were not always at all times the best example. But when you look to Christ, he'll always be the best example. And when you compare your suffering to hers, how dare I open my mouth? And how we deal with let your grace, let your speech always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt. We read Paul writing to the Colossians. Nothing unsavory there. So friends, what I'm saying is whatever you're going through, see it in perspective. Consider your situation. See it in proportion as you should. Stop and consider and bring it, if you like, to the light of the cross and see what he is doing and how he is dealing with the matter. He suffered like you and I will ever suffer. More than he, we will ever suffer. We will never suffer anything like it. But he reviled, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. There's the Savior for us. And so that to compare our suffering is wrong. But maybe we do it at times trying to find an excuse for how we feel. Here is the answer, friends. Draw near to Calvin and consider afresh what he went through. And we see then, finally, who he committed all to. The end of the verse 23. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And how have you, friends, of Every situation we find ourselves in, our trials and our difficulties, how they would change and alter if we did this more. Commit ourselves to him that judges righteously. Commit it to the Lord. Learn from the Lord. 
leave it with the Lord. Oh, how hard that can be for us at times. That we're going to maybe, and this can happen in many situations in the Christian life. We, 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 we take something to the Lord. We pray about it, a difficulty, a trial. But do we leave it there? How often it is that we then, that we take it away with us and don't leave it with the Lord. This is what we have to do. Now, there are times we have to deal with certain things. But far more often, the truth is that we should leave it with the Lord and let him deal with it. Follow his example here. When he was reviled, he didn't well. He left it and he took it. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. Committed himself to him. He took all patiently. When you think about him before the high priest, when you think about it before Pilate, when you think about being scourged by the Roman soldiers, when you think about him giving his back to the smiters, when you think about him crucified in agony, he didn't threaten vengeance, he left with the Lord. That's what we have here in the middle of the verse. He threatened not. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't threaten future vengeance against those who were crucifying him. But what does he do? He prayed to his father for the forgiveness of sins for them. In other words, he committed it all to the Lord. Oh, my dear friend, is it not true? This is so unlike me. This is so unlike me. I don't do that as I should. Do you recognize that in your own life? Our first thought can often be, as it were, and I, I hate to say it, but to get back at someone. Our first thought can be, instead of committing all to the Lord, it's about revenge and vengeance and the wrong spirit. In difficult, trying times, whether from the world or within, as it were, the church, this is the answer. Take it to the Lord. But because of our pride and our sinful nature, how often we find it hard not to seek to justify ourselves. But that is not what we see in our Savior. And if any had good cause and could have justified himself, he left it all to whom we judge us righteously. Is it costly at times to do so? Is it difficult at times to say nothing, to do nothing in response to maybe some wrong against you? Of course it is. But that's where we have to have trust and to cast it all on the Lord. Christ was despised on earth by men and in his greatest need was abandoned even, as we know, abandoned even by his friends. All his adversaries were slandering him, hated without a cause, we read in Psalm 35. That's how it was with him. But he committed all to the Lord. And when he was reviled, he reviled not. You see, friends, the world around you will always be at odds with you. Yes, even with your, within your very circle of family and friends at times. How we respond to it is important. How the world sees us, we see in the 12th verse there. How we see these things, 
not by anger, not by bitterness, but following your Lord's example, so that others would see something, that we are being with Jesus, that we are true according to his word, that we are true according to what we profess. What we often do is that much damage is done to the Lord's cause because of the witness or the lack of witness of some of us in the way that we live and deal with matters in this life. Friends, our Lord knows our every situation. There's nothing hid from him. And how often he must be, as it were, disappointed at our reaction to trials and difficulties in life. Say, do you not remember what Christ, my beloved Son, has suffered for you? He didn't suffer you being reviled so that you could revile others. Consider him, we read in Hebrews, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Consider him. And that, friends, is what we must do. Consider him and remember what he went through. We need to reflect more on our own lives and how we're living and how we're dealing with others and dealing with Christ as well and reflect on his example in everything. And if we do so, surely then we'll be able to bear our trials in a Christ-like manner. What does scripture tell us? My grace is sufficient. Commit all to the one who judges righteously. We mustn't. That's not to say that when we see wrong or whatever, we say nothing and do nothing and keep our mouth shut. But you know what this is teaching. And it's not, we shouldn't imagine it's up to uh, you to deal with it. He shall judge the world with righteousness, the psalmist says. Not you or I doing it. He doing it and committing it to the Lord is what we must do as well. Well, friends, in conclusion, life can be hard. People will often disappoint us from within and out with the church. But however much that is true, and however much we suffer, it is but nothing, it is but a drop compared to our Savior's ocean of suffering in our woman's dead. And look at how he dealt with it. Ah, so different from you and I, and I include myself very much in this, friends. How different he dealt with it. Think about you who are a sinner. I pray saved by grace. Think about the one who has saved you. Think about what he suffered to do so. And yet, he never sinned, never spoke wrongly, never spoke deceitfully, never had an unholy anger, never returned evil for evil, never had a spirit of, I'll get my own back. Can you honestly say that? In your dealings with others? Even with the world? The Christian can have that kind of spirit when you know it's wrong. Here is a congregation. As individuals within the congregation here, just in many other places, are you dealing 
with others in the way that you should? Are you dealing with others, individuals, including the world, but especially with fellow believers? Are you dealing with them as Christ has dealt with you? Or what spirit are you in far too often? When what we read in John, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Oh, you say, I don't hate anyone. I don't hate my brother. But word hate and the idea of not only strong disliking, but also lack of love. Lack of love. Oh, I love my brethren, my sisters in Christ. I love the world that, in the sense that I want them all to be saved. Well, friends, you know that one of the great marks of the Christian is to love the brethren. And that is whether it be in the pew or in the pulpit. And not to speak ill or wrongly of any. Far too often we find ourselves being like that. And friends, as we deal also with those who are not Christians around us, we need to remember such were some of you. Such were some of you. And what makes you today a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, but the grace of God through the death of Christ and his willingness to offer himself in your room and stead. I fear, I fear, friends, and I know that maybe you find this today very hard, but it's been laid on my heart, I believe from the Lord, and I pray that you would take it to yourself as I must take it to myself. And that that spirit of Christ is much lacking amongst us today. What's the answer? Well, what Peter writes here, surely, led by the spirit to write. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Dear friend, let us Follow that example. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, Thou knowest our hearts. Thou knowest, Lord, what there is remaining of sin that we struggle with every day. We pray that Thy people would be better witnesses for Thee. And any here amongst us who are looking on and may be disappointed as they can be often with Christians, we pray that none of us who profess would be stumbling blocks to those around us by the way we deal with each other and the way that we even deal with them. May Christ be seen in our lives and that we would not uh, hold back in anything, but that we're willing to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and follow Jesus. In his name we pray it. Amen.